Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. All right. Hello, 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 everybody, and uh, welcome to Life in 22 Minutes. Uh, I'm Scott McIntosh. I'm here with my co-host, Becky. As normal, we welcome a new guest with us today. And this guest has been a friend of ours for quite some time, and uh, he is a relationship and money specialist. And he's a co-author in a book uh, Who doing, is his and him? I want to know. I want to know his name. I don't want to say it yet. I don't want to say <laughs> the it. The suspense. It is. It's very suspenseful, and it is uh, do love. And he talks about not the sticky clinginess of love, but actually the stick to itness. And so he'll explain it better. But uh, he is the son of Johan from way back, and so uh, we welcome <laughs> Darren Johansson. Great to be with you today. I am the son of Johan, so there you very, go. Very cool. I, I do have a license in marriage and family counseling and financial advising, and that's part of my unique journey and grateful that I can talk a little bit about that. But I learned a long time ago that it's all about relationships, and you guys talk a lot about love, and that's something that I'm passionate about as well. I believe that love is about doing what's best for others, and that will always be the best thing for us. And the world's pretty confused about love. As I started in the financial services industry in 1995, what I found was a lot of people were focused on money and what money could do or what they thought money could do, and they didn't understand that the real value is in relationships. And so I've been fortunate to cross paths with a lot of people who have really helped me refine that. And so I spent a lot of time helping people understand the most important relationships in life, our relationships with our higher power, our creator, our God. And that when we understand who we are in relationship to something bigger than us, then we understand what love really is. And that gives us the ability to love a spouse and children and even our extended family. And so it defines all of our relationships. And when we understand that everything that we have, our relationships and everything that will help enhance those relationships is really about doing love, then we do life better. Okay, go back to the the 70s, right? It's all about peace and love. Peace and love. And so I think of that, and I think there was so much that they had right about that, but they were kind of missing the – there was a lot of struggle. There was a lot of inner struggle. There was a lot of things that people tried to figure out how to be better, um, how to fit the rest of life in with it. And, and it seemed like the hippie movement was all about, you just love, man, you know, and that type of thing. And now I think we've got into so much structure – and and kind of left love on the wayside, and now it's getting back to where we can put those two worlds together. It just, I don't know. I've just kind of seen a big difference in my life of where I'm at now, and and what it boils down to again is just love. I, I agree, Scott. You know, it's interesting that in the '70s, the love that they talked about was this, you know, free love or love what's best for me, and and you existed to serve me. And as long as you did, that was awesome. But if you didn't, then, so it was a selfish love. It was, it was not self-interested, but I flew from Florida not too long ago and all three flights, the stewardess said, you know, if the compartment pressure drops then a mask is going to fall from the 
place in front of you, put your mask on first. Well, doing love really is about that because I can't help you unless I'm in a good place. But being in a good place doesn't mean I have to use you or abuse you. And that was really what the love of the 70 was. You know, give me dope, give me sex, and, and we'll be happy as long as you're willing to do that. But if you can't do that anymore, then I have no more friends. There is, there is no more peace. <laughs> right. The peace that really comes, I believe, in life is, is about knowing who you are, knowing why you are, and then living your life to connect with other people and make a difference. And so your book or your chapter in this book... Yeah, it's uh, an anthology book. It's an anthology book, book uh, co-written with several uh, 14 contributing authors. So tell us a little bit about your steps on doing love. How do you go through that? Well, as I said, doing love is about doing what's best for other people, and so you have to understand who you are. So the five key relationships are your relationship with your, your higher power, your relationship with your spouse, significant other, your relationship with your extended family, your relationship with others, and your relationship with stuff. And so many times in the world today, people get that out of sync. They think it's all about the stuff. If I have more stuff, then I'll be happy and I can do relationships better. But I've worked with tons and tons of people who have lots of stuff, but they're very unhappy. They're very dysfunctional in, in all of their relationships, and they're seeking for the thing that matters. And, and really what matters is those people in our lives. And so I talk about Velcro and how, you know, Velcro seems to be really this strange thing. But if you take a piece of Velcro, and, and a piece of Velcro is two pieces, it's not just one. If you just have one half, the Velcro doesn't work. And one seems kind of soft, and the other, some people say, well, that's kind of prickly. But it's, it's not really prickly. But interestingly enough, if the soft side, if you will, and the loop side come together, they stick together so nicely. They, they perfectly complement each other. Which is what relationships are all about. Without both sides, you can't do that. And it doesn't mean that we all have to be the same because if you take two of the same type pieces of Velcro, that, that soft side, and push them together, they don't stay together. They don't stay together. Right. Yeah. So relationships really aren't about being the same or even thinking the same. It's about coming together and working together to do something better. To create one. The working together, it requires compassion and empathy and patience and kindness and working Everything. together to work, work through problems and difficulties. You know, so many people think that the only type of relationships are marriage relationships or family relationships, and really that's not true. I, I love the relationship example from the movie or the play Les Mis, uh, Victor Hugo's novel, and, you know, the bishop, in my mind, is the hero of the story. Um, Les Mis is famous, and most people look at Jean Valjean and they think, oh, you know, he's so amazing because he goes out and he touches so many lives and, and makes a huge noticeable difference in, in the world. He becomes the mayor, he owns a factory. But really it's the bishop, in my mind, that's the hero because he sees this man and he doesn't say, oh, I don't love you because you're an ex-con or I'm not going to love you because you don't have a job. He loves him because he exists, and he invites him into his home. He feeds him, and then he gives him the silver. Even though he stole silver, he says, you know, this is a gift to you. And he sees in that man something that the man can't even see in himself. And I think one of the most loving things we can do is see in others who they are and not love them because of the potential, love them because of who they are. And then when we love people that way, 
they often recognize their own potential, and it's a life-changing experience. That's a very important principle. I love that. Yeah, and, and just to think how different, I mean, the, the play wouldn't even be worth watching if it wasn't for that story. <laughs> That's right. It's amazing. But uh, when people go out of their way to show great kindness and love and, and, uh, and you get it to return to you, he didn't go looking for the return, but it returned to him anyway. And you're right, the bishop was the one that uh, set, that, set it up for greatness. Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask about the relationships and money piece because, like you said, Scott, those two things are, are so, I mean, there's so much there that a lot of people wonder, how could you do both? And, you know, to me, I don't see a huge difference because if I have a hierarchy to relationships, if, if I know who I am because of a relationship with a higher power, then that gives me a framework in which everybody fits. And I can then establish priorities. If my phone rings right now and it's my sweetheart, it won't because it's on silent, but <laughs> <laughs> it's my sweetheart. And, and she says to me, hey, you know, your son just jumped off the ball wall and broke his arm on our way to the emergency room. You would expect me to say, well, guys, sorry, I got to go. We'll have to finish this later. Right. Well, that's because she has a priority in my life that fits differently than my relationship with you. I mean, I love you guys, and we've done a lot of cool stuff together. Remember that marriage retreat we did? And I'm so grateful for your example and, and the things that you have shared with us about the important relationships in your life. But you would expect me to go take care of my wife and my son. The same thing is true in money. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki says that we should give some of every dollar. We should treat every dollar the same. We should give some money to God. We should give some money to the government. The government usually just takes theirs, so we don't have to worry about giving it to them, (laughs) except at tax time, and then we get to give them more, right? And then we should always put ourselves first. And if you haven't taken care of yourself, Scott, then you don't have anything to give to your family. We have to put first things first. And if people have a process for their money, the same as the process for their relationships. So, again, Kiyosaki says some money to God. Well, the most successful people financially in the world give to charity. John D. Rockefeller said, if I don't give money away, I believe that God will take my ability to make money away. Mm. Most successful family, Mm -hmm. seven generations. And interestingly enough, people who amass a large amount of wealth, if they pass it on to their children without passing on those values, if values don't come first, they lose that wealth. Right. My dad always said, uh, I mean, he, had to, he was a money guy for sure. And, and he talked a lot about always, I mean, the government, that was just a given, uh, that they were going to take their share. And then he would say, take 10% and pay to the Lord and take 10% and pay to you. And he would always... In your savings. In your savings, yeah, exactly, and just save that. That wasn't the 10% that you pay to you to go buy something frivolous, you know. It was always something that was to save and hang on to and for a rainy day. But he'd always also say things like, I'd rather have a, an old suit with a dollar in the pocket than a new suit with nothing in the pocket. You know, he was yeah. always, always coming off with these things. I, I'm sitting here, just not to go back too far because you just got into the money portion, but I'm sitting here betting that there's a lot of people out there when you were covering the, the Velcro, they're trying to decide, okay, am I the smooth side or the rough side? You know, in their, in their relationship, I know where I am. Becky's smiling. She, know, <laughs> she knows that I'm the rough one and she's the smooth one. So. Well, you know, the coolest part about that is that when you think about it, because it takes both parts, I don't know that it so much matters. We spend a lot of time thinking about who am I or how am I, especially in comparison to other people. 
And, you know, I, I think a lot of people would look at me and say, well, you know, I'm a lot like you, Scott. I'm, I'm pretty much the rough side. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, is that we have to have both of those sides. So when we can acknowledge in someone, whether it's smooth or rough, if you will, and that's one of the things I talk about in the chapter is that it's not so much that it's rough. It's that it's different. And it's and needed. If, yeah. And if I can, if I can celebrate your difference, then it doesn't have to be smooth or rough. It, it can be something that I can say, wow. I'm better because of you. Dan Clark often says, I like me better when I'm with you, so let's spend more time together. I, I love that <laughs> idea. That's about celebrating our uniqueness. And everybody, everybody has that. Everybody has a special gift. As you said earlier, Becky, a story. We all have our story, and our story is what makes us who we are. And if I look at my roughness or my softness and I say, oh, that's bad, in comparison to somebody else, I'm really doing a huge disservice because who I am comes from my experiences. And yeah, if, there's, if there truly are rough edges, I am meaning to take those off just so that I can interact with other people in a way that makes sense. Right. Let me ask you this. You're a counselor uh, with relationships. Do you uh, see both of those tie together a lot, or do you see more people just on looking to help their relationship or more people that are in financial problems and issue and, and coming to you to try to get themselves out of it? You know, when I first started out, I saw a lot more people on the counseling side of things because I was working in a clinic, and I purposefully made a shift and opened a, a new division, if you will, and, and started focusing more on the money because what I found was most people were struggling with money issues that really weren't money issues. People struggle in relationships over three things. It's money, intimacy, and other relationships, whether that's kids, whether that's our extended family. And as taboo as it is to talk about money, I found that a lot of people were coming and saying, oh, I'm depressed, or I have anxiety, or I have... You know, whatever somebody might tell them, ADHD or some of these other things. But because all of those things are so closely related, I recognize that most of the time when people weren't doing relationships well, they obviously weren't doing money well. Because if I'm angry with my spouse or with my child, I may think, well, I've got to go out and do something for myself. I've got to buy a new motorcycle or a new truck or whatever it happens to be. Or I have to get bonbons and watch Days of Our Lives. And all of those self-soothing activities will never solve the problems that we face. And I find people are a lot more willing to talk about money because they think, well, if I could solve this money problem, then everything's going to be better. And money really opens that door where I can help people understand relationships and love. So do most people have enough money if they just structured their lives better or do they need to really make more money? You know, people believe they need to make more money. It's a great question. What I have found is that when people put priorities on how they use their money or their time, or whatever the resource is, that if they do that in a priority order, then they do so much better. You only have 24-7. You're never going to have more, right? So we all have the same, the exact same value as far as time is concerned, but some people do really, really well with the time that they have and others don't because they don't understand that priority. One of my friends has always said, you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. And that's true. As long as I know what it is that's most important to me, then that's what I'm going to focus on and everything else will just kind of fit. But most people spend time planning their vacation, 
I joke often with newlyweds, I, I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling, and we talk about relationships. We talk about money, sex, and kids and, and all of those things. And I tell them, you'll spend more time planning your wedding, meaning the day, than you will planning your marriage, meaning your life. And when I ask people, where are you going to be in 10 years or 20 years? And you guys are great teachers of this principle because where you think you're going to be isn't really where you're going to be. But if you identify those priorities based on where you want to be and you live according to those priorities, then you really can, as Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to predict the future is create it. And you mm-hmm. can't create the events that other people are going to do, but you can create what you're going to do given certain events. Do you find that people who have poor habits as far as saving and putting their money in the right places, that they say, oh, well, I only make 60000 a year. And if I could make eighty, I think I could, I could make this work. Do you find that even if they made a hundred, they would probably still be just as behind as they were? They're usually worse. There was some research that was done that said that if you win the lottery, that in five years you're going to be in a worse place. And that's because having a lot of money doesn't solve the problem. Having principles and applying principles does. So more money won't ever solve the problem. If I take the money that I have and I apply it according to my priorities, then you always do better. I've never met with a couple or an individual that I couldn't help them improve their situation by simply applying those principles. But I've met several people who said, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to apply that principle. And and that's been very telling for me, you know, in the 20 plus years that I've done this is that I can go back to people in all income classes. I have a young man that came to me at 22. He said, Hey, I, I want to be in a great place financially. I said, great, this is all you have to do. And it's very similar to what your dad said. You know, you put 10% to, to a charity. Uh, I tell people they need to save 20 to 40%, 40 if you're self-employed, but at least 20. And I said, if you'll save 20% and put it away in a place that's going to, you know, give you a return of uh, on your deposit, then you're going to do okay. Well, he's never made more than $50,000 and he's got a quarter of a million dollars in a savings account now, not a bank because mm-hmm. banks aren't a great place to save money, but he buys what he wants to when he wants mm-hmm. to. He's, he's got a wife, he's got children, he's got a house and you know he doesn't drive brand new cars, but like the millionaire next door, he has nice cars to get him where he needs to go and he understands the value of earning interest because mm-hmm. there's two kinds of people, the kind of people who earn interest and the kind of people who pay interest. And interestingly enough, The people who pay interest are not that I want to stereotype anybody, but they work for someone else. But people who put money away understand that there's two ways to make money, and that's either people at work or money at work. And business owners understand that principle. They get people to work and money to work. Right. Great principles to live by. I think the most important thing to touch on is that A lot of people will give lip service to, oh, I have a relationship with a a higher power. Uh, I have a relationship with my spouse. I have a relationship with, you know, my extended family, with others, with stuff. If those are your five key relationships, if you just look back over the last seven days, how much time, how much focus, how much energy did I really put into each of those relationships? If I say that my relationship with God is my most important relationship and that's where I gain value where I understand who I am, but I, I spent no time enhancing that relationship. You know, they say that the depth of communication is equal to the depth of the relationship. So if I have a husband and wife that come into me and I say, you know, when's the last time you were on a date or when's the last time you sat down and actually talked to each other about 
the things that matter, the things that you value. And they say, well, you know, we haven't done that forever. It's funny that we go from a dating relationship where we're Siamese twins joined at the lips and the hips (laughs) to a marriage partner where usually there's a high frequency of intimacy in the first five years. But after five years, and sometimes that's affected by when the children come, but after five years, we see a, a high divorce rate. And most of the time, what we see is that the couple has stopped spending quality time together. And so if you just, this is a simple exercise that anybody can do. You sit down and you list your five key relationships and then say, okay, how much time, focus, and energy? Now, I don't spend as much time with my wife as I do with the people that I work with but I spend more time with her than any individual that I work with. And so the difference is, is that it doesn't always have to be quantity, but it does have to be quality. And if I say, well, but honey, you know, we, we made breakfast for the kids and we put the kids to bed and we did all of this stuff. Uh, we did dishes together, but it's not quality time. And it doesn't matter. It's, it's the quality. It's the focus. It's the why we do. One of my heroes is a guy by the name of Dieter F. Uchtdorf, and he said that the what informs and the why transforms. And it's in our why that we find our drive, our passion, our inspiration. And so I ask people, well, you know, why is that relationship important to you? And when they can identify a why, then they start doing things different. And there's power in that. Awesome. I I like that quote. How much do you see uh, the importance of loving yourself as part of that equation? Is it difficult to find love for a God? Is it difficult to find love for a spouse or a significant other if you don't love yourself? I think it's truly impossible. We can say that we love others. We can say that we uh, love ourselves or that we love God. But when we really understand what love is all about, which is why I prefer that definition of of doing love. Doing love is, is doing the best thing for others. You have to love yourself enough to have boundaries. And Brene Brown has some fantastic research that says the most loving people are the most boundaried people. Nice. Nice. I like that. Our time is up. If you would like to connect with, with Darren Johansson, go to our show notes on lifein22minutes.com and I'll have a link there that, it, that goes to his website and a link to order his book, Doing Love. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank you, Darren. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love.